So, how many of you think back, um, for those of you that are above 16, think back to the time when you turned 16, you got your driver's license, you had your first car, you have it in your mind. If you're not yet six, 16, dream about it, right? You, you got, maybe it's a Camaro, maybe it's a nice Mustang, whatever it is picked out. Let me show you mine. This was my dream vehicle, it's right behind me. 1997 Ford Aerostar, all-wheel drive. This thing is a tank. I'm just gonna tell you, I loved this thing. When I drove this, I remember at 16, I'm in high school thinking to myself, this thing is cool. Therefore, I am cool. Because I just, dude, think about how much stuff I can fit in the back. I once picked up a couch on the side of the road. I took that home using this van. I took people places in this van. I mean, this, this van was it, and I felt like, man, doesn't matter. Rain, sleet, snow, mud, this thing was gonna get me through. I loved it, and, and I also loved this that came with driving a car. Maybe you remember this when you were 16. Um, the feeling of dependence or independence? Independence. Independence. I can do what I want. I can go where I want, I can, I, can, I can work where I want. I don't even have to go to school if I don't want to because who's gonna know if I don't go, right? So this is what I loved, I loved driving this. We had some friends that were coming into town from about five hours, five and a half hours away where we used to live, they were driving, I lived in Midland. And so I'm driving this van and I'm loving my you know, independent 16 year old life, driving the cool van, the Ford Aerostar. And I'm driving and I'm out in the country. So Midland, if you don't know Midland, there's a lot of fields and cornfields everywhere. And uh, I'm driving and all of a sudden my van like, it starts like the engine starts weird, like it just, it speeds up and then drops, speeds up, drops, and then literally just shuts off. I'm like, dude, I'm in the middle of nowhere and I, I like coast to the side of the road and I park it on the side of the road and I'm like, oh, these friends, they're coming in. I gotta get home. I don't know what is going on. I don't know what's wrong with the van. And then I look down at my gauges and I look at the gas gauge. Have you ever done this before? And you look and like, I think my gas gauge is broken also because it's sitting on the E, which I've been told means empty. And so now I just start thinking, I go, wait a minute, when's the last time I filled this thing up? And I couldn't remember. And what does that tell you? It means we're out of gas. And so I'm on the side of the road and I'm, I'm trying to think of like, okay, is there a neighbor I can talk to? Or is there like a place I could walk and get gas and borrow a can to come back? Because there's absolutely one thing I do not wanna do. And most of you guys in this room will understand. What do I not, who's the one person I do not wanna call to say, hey, I ran out of gas? Yeah. My dad. Right, not happening. And so I'm looking and I'm thinking, there's nobody close, there's no, I mean, it's like we're talking miles and miles and miles of walking. And I went, you know what, I'm, there's a car coming, I'm just gonna wait, I'm gonna see if they can help. And so this car pulls up and I'm like, this is like my one shot of avoiding calling my dad to say, I ran out of gas. You know, 16, I can handle it. And this car pulls up and it is none other than our friends from five and a half hours out of town on their way to our house see this stranded 16-year-old on the side of the road, and they roll down, and as soon as they see me, they both bust out laughing, and I go, I'm done. I'm done, it's over, I need a ride from our family friends to go back home where I have to own it to dad, get the gas can, and come back. It, it, this, here's why I tell you this story. It's not too often that we are totally dependent on someone, is it? It's not too often, you know, like a lot of us seek the independent life and we seek to be independent maybe financially or maybe relationally or maybe um, where you live, wh whatever it is, we seek to be independent of, you know, the rule or the authority or even um, the reliance on other people in our lives. So I just wanna ask a question just as we start and the question is this, what do you need God for? Just as you think about you and your relationship with God, what, what do you really need God for in your life? 
What we're talking about today, um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We're in a book that, that I don't preach out of a lot. It's the book of Revelation. So we're gonna be in Revelation chapter three. If you have a Bible, pull out your Bible. If you have a phone, pull out your phone. We'll have words for you up here too, but man, you just can't rob yourself of the experience too of reading it in context uh, along with me. So Revelation chapter three, that's where we're gonna go, but I wanna set it up just so that you understand what we're talking about. So I have a map. Map's gonna be up behind me. And what we're talking about is the church in Laodicea. And so you can see Laodicea is this bottom left part right here. And it's actually, what you can't see on this map, but Laodicea is in a valley. So there's like this valley and that's where Laodicea camps out. That's, that's where the city's been planted. But it's important because it's in this valley called the Lycus Valley where three different highways all converge. Okay, so remember, this is, this is like 2,000 years ago-ish. Um, so highways are really important and where there is highways and where there's traffic, there exists, you know, like economy. There's businesses and there's hotels and there's restaurants and this is a place to make money. So three different highways converge around this city called Laodicea and therefore it's wealthy, it's a commercial city and it's so wealthy that they built their own theaters and stadium, they had public baths, they had, which is weird but it was a thing, uh, shopping centers, like this was like a hub in this time. This was a really important city. And this is why I tell you all this before we read it too, is because they actually had a whole lot in common with all of us. That the church in Laodicea actually had a whole lot in common with the United States and with us here in Grand Rapids and Byron Center. And, and let, me, let me explain a couple of things. Um, let's just talk about spending because we're in the series called Simplify. Spending in the United States, all of us are grouped into that. Uh, the US spends more than 30% of their income each year on luxury items on luxury items. This is stuff that we don't really need, but it adds comfort to our lives. So you, you may hear the word luxury and go, I don't live a luxurious lifestyle. I'm not in some penthouse suite, I'm not wherever. But if you have a couch, or more than one couch, or more than one bed, or, or you, have, you have rooms in your houses, more than what you actually need, these are all luxury items that we spend. If you go out to eat, if you go see movies, these things, we spend, as a culture, 30% of our income, on average, on luxury items. There's a couple other things. U.S. spending on recreation. I love that, just recreation. Increased 477% in a time period of 18 years. You see how there, there's starting to be like some similar threads here between us and Laodicea. We have a lot in common with them and they, just like us, often find their security in wealth and protection from danger they're insulated from problems and they're immune to tragedy. There was an earthquake in Laodicea in 60 AD, so just under 2,000 years ago. Earthquake devastated the city. Things were so damn, I mean, just picture like, um, like Haiti when the earthquake hit in 2010, just devastated this country. Same type of earthquake, it hits Laodicea in 60 AD. The government steps in and says, hey, we'd like to offer you a loan you know, to rebuild your city. And they're so wealthy and so powerful that they say, no. We're actually gonna rebuild it all on our own. We're, we're so independent, we're so self-sufficient. Self we got it. You keep your money, you stay out of our business, we're gonna do things our way. I mean, there's just, the wealth in this place was just unimaginable. But for a lot of us, it's not that far of a stretch just given the country or, or the state or the city that we live in. And so here's the thing, they had one liability. I gotta tell you this before we jump in and read it. They had one liability, and the one issue that Laodicea struggled with or had is their source of water. And it's so fascinating because they're in, you remember what I told you? Are they on the mountaintop or are they in the valley? 
They're in the valley. And so the water supply is more difficult to find because they're in an arid culture in a valley. And so what they had to do is use aqueducts, which is like this, you know, primitive plumbing system, which I just think is genius. And they take four miles away where there's a spring and the water comes up and they, they get it somehow into this aqueduct. I'm not an engineer. I don't understand how this works. But they get the water from the ground up into this aqueduct and it travels for four miles and finally brings it into the city. And so here's a question I just want to ask you. Regardless of the temperature of the water at the source, what would the temperature be after slowly moving downhill through a series of aqueducts? What would it be when it finally gets to the city? Would it be hot or cold or something in the middle? Probably something in the middle. And this is why it's so fascinating and so weird. And the writer of Revelation, his name's John, he's gonna talk about this in just a second. But why it's interesting is this map. I wanna go back up to the map. The map, the two neighboring cities have something totally different. They have a different problem than Laodicea has. Laodicea has this kind of lukewarm or tempid water that comes in and it's not really like, man, hot water you can do a lot with, cold water you can do a lot with, but kind of lukewarm, there's not a lot. So get this, Hierapolis, if you can see this one up here, up to the north, Hierapolis has hot springs. So the water that comes up is like boiling hot. And so what they use that for and what hot water is known for in this time is like it's healing remedy powers. I mean, it's like it brings healing and it brings comfort. And so hot water is to be desired. But if you look just a little bit farther away, Colossae, a little bit, you know, to the east and the south, Colossae has, any guesses on the type of water? Cold water. They have like cold springs and cold brings like a sort of refreshing kind of sense to it. So keep that in mind that you have Hierapolis, which has hot springs, Colossae, which has cold springs, and then you have Laodicea that has something in the middle. And the writer of Revelation is going to speak to them about their relationship with God. And he's going to use the water as a metaphor. So let's read it together. So we're in Revelation 3, starting in verse 14, if you want to follow along. It says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. These are the words of the amen. This is talking about God. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of, either one of the other, one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. So I brought up a couple things, a couple props, because I wanna have some fun with this one today. So in this box, I have three, four, this is my coffee, so that's needed for later, so disregard that. So I have three different things, okay? I have one, um, any guesses on what's in here? Coffee, right? Hot coffee. Some of you, this remedy powers, right? You're like, amen. 
This is what I need. It's, I need it in the morning. I need it to get through the day. I drink it. I feel warm. I feel good inside. It's just, it's the source of life and comfort. When life goes ballistic, give me a cup of coffee, right? And I'm good to go. So there's hot coffee in this one. But then some of you, when it's like a hot day and you're sweating like crazy, maybe you're outside, you're working in the lawn or you're playing sports or something. Uh, how awesome does one of these sound? Right? Awesome. I wish, I got it, it's still ice cold, I wish you could feel it, but I was hoping it'd be like dripping, so like you could see it like, oh, it's just so cold, and it's like, oh, it's refreshing, right? This one, what's it called? Frost cool. Why is it called frost? Just think about that. Because it's refreshing. The, the cold can be refreshing when you're hot, when you need it. And so you have these two, you have hot coffee, and you got cold Gatorade. And here's what the writer is saying, I wish you were one or the other. Laodicea, you who, who are in the middle, the water that comes into your city is lukewarm, but how you relate to me is the same way. I wish you were, I wish you were either hot. I wish you were like a healing presence in the kingdom for people around you. I, I wish that when you showed up, people felt warm. I wish people felt loved. I wish, I wish you were just on fire for me and your relationship with me. But he says, here's the thing. I also wish that you were cold. If you're not gonna be hot, I wish you were cold. I wish that you were refreshing to the people around you. I wish that you could use what you have to just build into people and that when you show up, people relax and they're excited because it, it brings relief. I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're not. So of course I brought one more thing. So I have a baby. I'm just gonna tell you right now, this is not breast milk, okay? So relax. I don't wanna see any videos later. I don't wanna see anything like that. But this has been sitting out for a while. This is where it's gonna get gross. This has been sitting out. And, and what happens to milk when it's sat out for a long time? What happens with the chunks? You know what I'm talking about? I heard they call them curdles. I think they're more like curds, right? Like cheese curds, they just get nasty and gross. Here's what God is saying to the church in Laodicea. He's saying, I wish you were hot. I so wish you were hot. Wish you were on fire for me and in your relationship with me. But if you're not gonna be hot, I wish you were cold. I wish you were just a refreshing presence to me. I, I wish you were a refreshing presence to people around you, but you're not. You're this thing in the middle of lukewarm grossness milk. And just as you open it, I mean, this is what it's like. No videos. Oh, I want to spit you out of my mouth. I heard somebody say that's disgusting. Thank you. It's like gross, curdled milk. And it's not, he uses this word spit. This is why it's so important for us to remember it because the word that he uses for spit isn't like you take a sip and you go, bleh. I don't like it. The, the actual word, there's a word that he could have used for spit, and it translates as spit. But the, there's another word that he could have used that one meaning means spit, the other one means vomit. Like I drink you and I'm sick to my stomach. I just want to hurl. I want to vomit. And so think about this for a second. I just, we're going to reread it again. Bruce's going to put the words on the screen. It says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold 
nor hot. And I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, because you're this gross, tepid, lukewarm milk, I'm about to spit you out. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. And this is the the response of the people. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Let's, Let's change that just a little bit. I've acquired wealth and don't need you. And God says, what, what, what do I do with that? For people that I long for and that I love for and that I've died for, and when the response is, I, I've insured my life and insured my life from needing you, God says, I, I can't do anything with that. It's repulsive to me. So what do we do with that? What I wrote here is, uh, at least we're not indifferent towards God, right? Whew, okay, deep breath, good, brush that off. Here's what I hate about this verse, though, and I, I want to pop it up one more time, um, if we could, and it says this right at the end. This is verse 17. But you do not realize that it's possible that this could be our approach or our relationship or our attitude towards God without us ever knowing it. And what God is saying is, you're wretched. You're a wreck. You look good on the outside, but you're like this whitewashed tomb. It's just death inside. You're pitiful. And it's not meant to be like derogatory. The actual word is pitiable. Like I, I just have pity on you because you're in such a state of like crippledness. Next one he says is poor. <laughs> you think you're rich but you're so poor. You have such huge need. You're blind to the world and to God and to what I'm trying to say and speak to you and you're naked. You're full of so much shame and so much guilt and you have no idea. This was really crazy. I read this um, kind of a quote, kind of a thought, but it says this. It said, when a person is cold and feels the bitterness, I mean, just picture like outside, um, you walk out with like a shorts and a t-shirt like I do every night taking my dog out, right? Just throw the muck boots on and I'm out there and I'm like, sweet, we're just gonna take a tour of our yard for about three and a half hours. So I'm just gonna stand here and cold. Here's what the guy's saying. Uh, when a person is cold and feels the bitterness, he is more apt to seek warmth from the cold. And that's how oftentimes many of us, when we feel cold or bitter or broken in life and we we feel a need for God, that we move in God's direction, but when we are lukewarm, we become much more difficult to reach because of two things. We feel comfortable, kind of like right now, and self-sufficient, that we don't actually need God to intervene or to do anything on our behalf. Here's three questions just for us to consider. What consumes your thought life? Just as you're in the world or as you're at work or you're at home, what just gets you excited? That just what what consumes your thought life? Here's the second one. Let's point us in a little bit more specific direction. What makes you happy? 
What is it that, you know, as you think about it or you go, man, I just desire this. I think about this in my free time. This will make me happy if I can only get my hands on this one thing. This is what I desire. And then the last question is this. Do you actually need God in your life to get any of those things? That's where it hits home for me. Because so often I just allow my heart and I allow my mind to just think of things that have no significance whatsoever after I die. That's exactly what God is trying to speak to this church, this wealthy, affluent, self-sufficient city. He's saying, you need me so badly, but you don't even see it. And I want you to. How much is your soul worth to you? Because if, if God is saying, your wealth and your self-sufficiency and your independence may cost you your relationship with me, how much is your soul worth? What value do you associate your soul worth? Is it worth everything for you to give up and say, God, if I have you, I have everything? How much is your soul worth? Because there's just such an important truth we just need to know, is that to God, your soul is worth everything. To the point of death for him on a cross, he said, you may not value it the way that I do, but it's worth anything to me. So let's keep going. Because God is a loving God, he doesn't stop his message there. We're gonna read Revelation 3, verse 19. This is next. It says, those whom I love, being us, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and do what? Repent. I love this word repent. Repent in the most simplest form means I'm moving in one direction and I'm confronted with a reality that God reveals something to me and so I acknowledge that I've been moving in this direction and I apologize and I repent and I say, God, I'm gonna turn from this direction and I'm gonna move back this direction back to you. He's saying, uh, be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's saying, here I am. I'm just knocking for the rest of your life. I'm just going to be knocking on the door of your heart saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. I'm still here. I'm never going to give up on you. Let me in, let me in. And if you just open the door, even just a little, I'm going to flood into your heart with my presence and camp there and just dwell with you. You will experience the fullness, all the things that he just elaborated on, you know, naked and pitiful and poor and blind. He said, I'm going to fix all of that. I bring salve that goes on your eyes. That way you can see. I bring clothes. That way you don't feel shame in your nakedness. I, I I bring life to counter your death. And here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And he says this, 21, to the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. I love how God can see us exactly how we are instead of how we fooled ourselves to be. I love that he can speak right to the brokenness, deep, deep within me. You know, maybe you can relate to, but there's parts of my life or history or brokenness that I shove as far down as possible because it hurts, because I don't like it about me, because I don't like acknowledging that this is who I am, that I'm so desperately in need of God. And so I shove it and God says, that is the part that I see. And even more importantly, that's the part that I love. 
I stand at the door and I knock. What game are you playing in life? Um, <clears throat> I love games. I don't know about you. I was a sports guy growing up. I love basketball. I love soccer. Uh, Ultimate Frisbee. Once I got to college, I played that one like it was my job. It um, doesn't really matter what it was. I, I love games. I love winning. Um, but I ask you this question because what's your scorecard? What's the scorecard that, that you get to the end of your life and you have the check boxes and you want to know if you won or you lost at life? What are the boxes that you check that say, I made it, I did it, I won? What are those boxes? Is it relational? Is it, okay, I just wanted to be married and I wanted to have kids and I wanted to have grandkids as long as those boxes are checked. Great, I won. Maybe it's career. I want to ride out retirement. I want to finish my life however long I can live, 20, 30, maybe 40 years. What a stretch. Man, I just want to build, 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 build and then coast to the end of it. Man, if I can do that, I check that box and I made it. Maybe it's some sort of position at work man, if I, if I can be the leader of the company or if I can be the head mechanic or if I can be the principal of the school or I, I can be a pastor, whatever it may be, I just wanna arrive so at the end I can just look at the box and check the scorecard. Money in the account, influence, power, whatever it is, just think about it in your own mind. What is the game that you are playing to win? And for me, I'll just be honest with you, um, I love the money game. I, I, what an easy scorecard. Am I right? You know when you're winning, you know when you're losing. When the money's going up and to the right, you're winning. When it's going down or to the left, you're really losing, right? And you see a lot of parentheses and red letters, you know you're really losing. So for me, I, it's an easy measure of success, right, in my life. And, and I remember, man, being so focused and man, I just wanna pay off debt and get done with student debt and seminary debt and just, I wanna move on, I wanna be independent, I wanna start building wealth, I wanna start investing, I wanna start doing this. And uh, Shannon and I felt like God called us into foster care. And so we started going through the training and I just have to tell you, the training is ridiculous because it takes forever forever. And then you get those, you know, the buy the book people that make you sit in until the exact minute that you're done. I hate it. But anyway, um, we'll go through all the training. We finally get licensed. And this is what was so funny to us is um, two weeks before we received our license in the mail, we'd we completed all the training. We passed all the background checks. They didn't find the stuff I didn't want them to find. So we passed the checks. Joke. I'm kidding. Relax. Okay. Um, we finally get the license, um, but we found out we were pregnant. And so we go, uh, well, shoot. And I remember the foster care worker sat down with us at our kitchen table, goes through all the questions, goes through the report. She does an immense amount of work. I just love the social work people. An immense, and she finally sits down and she looks at us and she says, are you guys pregnant? We go, nope, nope, because we didn't know. We weren't, nope, nope. She said, this literally happens to me every time. I do all this work, all this legwork. We spend all this dollars, all these hours. We spend it just to get them licensed. And then they tell us, hey, uh, we're pregnant, we're not gonna be doing it. We're like, no, we're in, we're totally in, we're game on. Two weeks later, we found out that we were like a month and a half pregnant. We went, you call her. <laughs> I'm not, so we just didn't tell her. It was like two months, we didn't even tell her. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, we got a phone call one night and it was like late at night and they said, hey, we have two boys that just entered the system. They're, I think, eight and nine or seven and eight, something like that, can you take them? And 
Marry my scorecard, okay? Just keep this in mind. I, I got things I wanna do. I got boxes I wanna check off. I, this, is, this is my goal, this is my win. And I bring it up to Shan, and Shan's working nights at the hospital, and so, I mean, her schedule's slammed, and I'm busy, but I'm, I'm the idea guy, okay? I just gotta tell you, it, you throw an idea, I'm all in, I'm ready to go. And uh, so I was like, yes, we're doing it. Shan's like, eh, we, we can't right now at this very minute. And so I called them back, I said, we can't right now, and they called us back the next day and said, we really need this. And I went, perfect. So I called Shan, they really need it. They really need it and we're available. And so Shan says, yep, we'll do it. And so it's late at night. I mean, it's like, not, not that late. I sound old saying this. It was like five o'clock, okay? Five o'clock. <laughs> and uh, it's been a long one, guys. I just gotta tell you. It's five o'clock. I show up at the house and, and I'm waiting. I'm like, dude, first placement. Like, this is gonna be awesome. And these two little boys, show up, they're wearing, you know, wife beaters, like the white, you know what I'm talking about? Tank tops, under, whatever you call it. I feel bad saying it, moving on. So they're, they're wearing it. And um, I just, I, I wanna tell you this just so that you understand what, what starts going through my mind, but, but we live up in Rockford. It's a pretty predominantly white area. We got two little black boys wearing these tank tops and um, they get out of the car and I just remember going, I have no idea how this is gonna go. I, we've never parented in our lives. And these two boys come in and they start walking through our house. We live in a modest house, okay? I, I'll give you the address, you can look it up and go, yep, it's modest. Um, it doesn't look great on the outside. It was a fixer upper when we bought it. It lives uh, right on like a busy road. And so these kids wake up and, and by my scorecard and by my measure of success, we're, we're doing fine. You know, we have a house, we live indoors, we have heat, you know, most of the time. and. Uh, these boys come in and they are stunned at our house. And I just remember they're, they're walking around like, whoa, like look at this and you have a guitar and, and this and that. And this is, this is where like it broke my heart, you guys, because the question they asked me was, did you buy all this on a bridge card? The bridge card's like food stamps. And it, I just got this pit. because so much of it I've taken advantage of. I've just taken it for granted. And you're just two little boys. <laughs> Enamored, mostly with my wife. There's pictures of my wife everywhere. They're like, who is she? I was like, back off, she's married, okay? You're seven, get a girlfriend. But uh, you guys are blown away by our stuff. And that's when God started planting the seed in me. My scorecard's all jacked up. I'm playing the wrong game. God says, you're playing this worldly game that revolves around money and dollars and numbers and, and independence and vacations and retirement. And it, it, that's, that's fine for like, you know, this much of your life. But, but, but when you live this much, you know, forever, you're just wasting it that you're, you're actually winning at the wrong game. And if I have a fear in life, I'll just tell you, it's getting to the end of my life, adding up my scorecard and realizing I've won at the wrong game. It's so when God writes this, he's writing it to his church in Laodicea because he loves them, just like he loves us. And he's saying this, your deeds 
what you do, how you live, how you act, how you relate, how you spend, how you save. Your deeds, your actions. I wish you were hot and on fire for me. I wish you brought a refreshing spirit, like, like you, you bring healing to places you go, that you use your wealth and you use your resources to invest in the kingdom that gains eternally, not temporarily. Or I wish you were, you were ice cold, like a Gatorade that shows up in the team that just goes nuts because they got ice cold Gatorade and it's refreshing. I wish you were one of those two, but you're lukewarm. And I just want to spit you out of my mouth because there's nothing I can do with that. And this is what's so sad is that our wealth and our stuff and our possessions can actually cause us to be lukewarm in our relationship with God. First Timothy six seventeen. It says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who? In God. Who richly, richly, I love that. It doesn't just say who provides for us. I'll get you by. He says who richly, abundantly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. Do you know that there's more joy in kingdom investing than worldly investing? God wants to bring you joy in your life. It says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous. And I love this. It's like you're talking to a toddler and willing to share. Play nice. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God still does miracles. Do you know that? That he is active at work doing miracles. And if you never put yourself in a position to need one, you'll never experience one. God says, test me. You experience my goodness? Put yourself in a place where if nothing else comes through and I'm your last resort, put yourself in that place and watch how I provide. Um, lukewarm Christianity, I just gotta tell you, it's boring. If you ever feel bored with your faith, if you ever feel like I'm just not getting anything out of this or uh, I just wanna grow. You know, I do the church attendance thing. I do the small group thing. I serve every once in a while, but I'm relatively bored in my relationship with God. That, that's lukewarm. God says, I want you on fire for me. I want you to be radical for me. I want you to put yourself in situations where I can provide miraculously so that everyone looks and goes, are you kidding me? God did that? God says, that's what I want to do, and that's what I promise you that I will do for you. He invites us to be a part of transformation in the lives of people. I want to tell you a quick four story, just boom, boom, boom. There's a guy in our church. Um, this is just kingdom wins, okay? This is a different scorecard. There's a guy in our church who is getting beat up from all sides. He has a stepdad that he just lost. He, he just died. Um, he has a son who's been in the NICU for, I think, five or six weeks now. Um, his relationship's on the rocks, and he just had, with his wife, and he just had um, a tumorous or a cancerous tumor removed. 
um, benign from his own. I mean, you talk about, he's just getting blows. And he and I, as we're talking in lunch, and as God's working in his life, he's trying to learn how to love his wife better despite getting beat up from all angles. That's life transformation. And that's something every one of us in this room can invest in someone else and say, let me just help you. Let me just walk alongside you. Let me pray for you. There's a, a single mom in our, in our church uh, who has a car that's broken. Um, she took it to Bell Tire and they went $800. And she went, it's probably an issue because I have like $35 in my bank account. But it's like a broken strut. Her, her tire sits like that. And she goes, I, I, can't, I, I can't do anything. And there's another guy in our church that says, I don't have any money to help her either, but I'm really good with cars. If we can find the money thing, then I can help the car thing. And somebody else came alongside and said, I, I got the money part, so I can pay the money. He can do the stuff. She can get the car and take care of her kids. This is life transformation that's unfolding. Are you able to be a miracle to somebody else in their life? Here's another one. Um, we're doing this men's retreat um, at Frontline, which you're all invited to, men, sorry, women, um, but all the men are invited. It'd be awkward. I'm just going to tell you if the girls come up. So, but men, you're invited. We're doing this men's retreat. The cost is 120 bucks and 25% of the guys that signed up for it said, I can't afford it, but I need it. I just need it in my relationship with God. And there's a whole other group of men in our church that went, I got the money part. I'll, I'll, I'll invest spiritually into the lives of other men. And every one of them is going with an ending balance for us of zero dollars. Is that crazy? And then here's the last one. Um, we actually had, as of last week, there's two guys from our deaf community up at Frontline who said, I'd love to go on this retreat, but there's a giant hurdle for me. One, it's finances. I, I can't afford to go. Two, um, I need an interpreter. And I did a little homework this week. That costs through the roof. It is insanely expensive. And so what do we do? We just go to prayer. We sent it out to our core team. We had staff praying for it. I've been praying for it. We prayed for it last night and on my way down here this morning, this just gets me emotional about it, but on my way down, my boss calls me, Blake. You guys know Blake, love Blake. Calls me and he went, do you wanna know how crazy awesome God is? On Wednesday, Blake and I were meeting and I said, I, I, I need a translator who's a male who's available all weekend long. And everybody we've told who knows anything about this world says, good luck, because that's like an impossibility. And Blake said, you're not gonna believe it, but we actually got in touch with someone who is a man and who's available and who's ready to go. And you just go, are you kidding me? With a week, God is still at work in mighty and powerful ways. And he invites us as the church not to be, not to be this, this spoiled, curdly milk that just isn't good for anything, but he invites us to be this refreshing presence and this healing force for good in the kingdom. So I wanna close this way. I just wanna read something for you. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. What has stolen your heart from God? Is there something that you can identify that, that has gripped a hold on your heart that you just need to let go of? Is it net worth? Is it finances? Is it a job? Is it some sort of future reality that you're living out that you go, man, this is just what I'm striving for or yearning for? Uh, is it retirement? Is it a lifestyle that you desire to live? Is it a relationship that you don't yet have? Is it a relationship that you do have? Uh, what has stolen your heart from God and prevented you from investing in the kingdom in a powerful and in a mighty way? 
God is more active, I just have to tell you this, he's more active and alive in my life right now than he's ever been before. And the stuff I'm seeing and the life change that's happening and the people who are giving themselves to the Lord for an eternal purpose, God is doing so much more than I could have ever asked or imagined or dreamed of. And he's given all of us an invitation to experience what that's like now. Not far off, not when Jesus comes back, not in heaven, but right now today. He's saying, change your scorecard, start playing the right game, and I'm on your team. We're going to win. My last statement, don't trade your life for something that isn't worth it. Ephesians 3, 14 says this, for this reason, just close your eyes with me. Can we do that? Let this be our prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said,